Please be seated. As you are, I want to welcome all of you that are gathered here at First Free Methodist Church in Seattle in person in the sanctuary. Those of you who are with us live online on the live stream or maybe going to be watching this worship and worshiping with us later this week, we welcome you, all of you. We hope that you'll take an opportunity to fill out the connection card or the connect card right in the pew in front of you. There's a place on the front of it for you to put your contact information and more importantly on the back there's a place where you can share your prayer request with us because we want to be in prayer with you as a church. So write down your prayer request there as well. Later on in the worship service, we're going to invite you to come for communion down the center aisles, and you'll see two boxes right here. And we'd love for you to put your Connect card in that box. And if you did bring a morning offering with you, you can drop it in the box there as well. And that's our way of being able to collect those things this morning. I want to say a couple of things. One, uh, that I'm very thankful for our band, and our tech team, because last night there was a huge concert in the sanctuary with a, a chorus and an orchestra, and so everything you see here had to be struck before that concert and rebuilt this morning. So A plus to the crew up there, crew up here, you all did fantastic. I want to thank you guys for the hard work. <laughs> Having to rebuild all of this technology in one morning is a challenge. It's Herculean, and so I'm very thankful for our team that make all this work. A few things I wanted to share with you as we uh, begin our worship today. We had originally planned for our superintendent from the Free Methodist Church, Michael Fournay, to be with us today. And he was going to be doing a kind of a prayer of blessing. Uh, hard to talk about over me because I'm the new pastor. And it turns out that he was exposed to COVID on Friday and was worried that he might have COVID on Sunday. And so he decided to not be here today out of an abundance of caution so we're going to reschedule our time with the superintendent to come join us and do that installation later on, probably sometime this fall. I'll be working on them to get that date scheduled very, very soon so that we can do that. And uh, we have some other calls to action we'll talk about a little bit later. Pastor Camille's here. She's going to tell you all about some ways you can respond to God's grace. But again, please fill out a Connect card. Drop off your offering here this morning. If you're joining us online, use our app. We have the Connect card built into our app that you can download from the app store either in google or apple and you can enter your information there and any prayer requests you have and then for everyone you can always make your offering in person obviously but you can also do it online and so we want to invite you to do that to visit our website or use our app you can find a way to make your contribution to our operating fund or to support our global or local missions as well we would love to be able to receive those gifts from you because it supports our church's ministry here and around the world. So please participate in that. With that said, we're going to have kids camp this morning. I'm really excited about our kids and kids camp and our pastor for family life, uh, Stephanie Simmons, along with uh, Stacy, who works with our children's ministry. Stacy is in the back. Wave your arm, Stacy. Stacy is going to be taking our children pre-K up to second grade over to kids camp where we have a great team ready for them this morning but before our children leave we want to pray a blessing over them so let's pray together 
Lord God, we thank you for the gift of children in the life of our church, our youngest leaders and our youngest disciples. We pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit upon them during this time, that they would learn and grow in their faithfulness, that they might become and always be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift that you bring to us and our children in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to dismiss our pre-K through second grade to meet Stacy in the back of the sanctuary, and we're going to continue on in our time of worship. in Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. These are the words of Jeremiah, Hilkiah's son, who was one of the priests from Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. The Lord's word came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of Judah's king Josiah, Ammon's son, and throughout the rule of Judah's king Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the fifth month of the 11th year of King Zedekiah, Josiah's son, when the people of Jerusalem were taken into exile. The Lord's word came to me. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Ah, Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a child. The Lord responded, don't say I'm only a child. Where I send you, you must go. What I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them because I'm with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I'm putting my words in your mouth. This very day I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down, to destroy and demolish, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. God. Thank you, Ed, very much. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention to you, I could have mentioned a moment ago and I forgot, is that coming up in uh, November and in December, on the first Sunday of both of those months, we're going to have a little congregational conversation after each of our worship services that day. And our leadership team, led by Diane Barry, we're going to be having some conversations with you as our, as our whole church about the strategy and the future of our church. And we want to be able to share that with you over a couple of different Sundays, one in November, one in December. Pastor Camille is going to give you some more information about that, but I want you to log that now. These are going to be important conversations as we get ready for our congregation's annual meeting on January the 8th. Yes, we're thinking about January the 8th right now. And so that's an important date for us. So our entire leadership team is working tirelessly, hours, on developing our plan for the future as a church. And so we want to be able to share that with you over those couple of Sundays, November 6th, December 4th. So please kind of log those and we'll have those conversations after each of our services that particular Sunday. Our vision is particularly important in those conversations and it's particularly important as we conclude this series of messages called Back to Basics. So for the last five weeks, we've been exploring what our church's vision is and how God has called us to live that out. And so our vision, let's recap everyone, love people, connect to Jesus, serve the world. How about you say it with me? Love people, connect to Jesus, serve the world. Try it again this time all by yourself. Love. 
that was remarkably convincing. <laughs> and I'm glad that you're embodying that and learning it. One of the things I appreciate about our church is how we hold that vision. We have it on signs in the foyer. We have it on banners across our campus. As I've mentioned before, even if you visit the, the restroom here at our church, you will encounter those words in one way or another. I'm thinking about having toilet paper printed with it. I haven't quite decided if that's appropriate yet or not. We're working on that. Vision is important because for me, vision describes what we look like when we're accomplishing the mission. Vision describes what we look like when we're accomplishing our mission. So one might ask, well, what's our mission? Now, we'll have time to investigate that later, but uh, maybe making disciples has something to do with our mission as a church. But if someone were to show up and take a photograph of us perfectly accomplishing our mission, that would be our vision. In that vision, we love people, connect to Jesus, serve the world. That's what that picture describes. That vision, in some ways, is God's call for us. It's God's call or God's invitation to us. And throughout the Bible, we find God calling people to be engaged in service and in ministry. And we often think of those people as exceptional people, particularly godly people. And even a quick view of Scripture will find that that's not the case. That almost all of those people were, well, at least in their own estimation, somewhat ordinary, and even in their own estimation, slightly disadvantaged for the work that God had called them to do. And Jeremiah is no different. This passage of Scripture that Ed read a moment ago is from Jeremiah 1, and it's commonly called the call of Jeremiah. I honestly think that's a bit of a misnomer because it's not Jeremiah's call. It's actually God's call on Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is responsible for responding to that call. And so today we're going to be talking about Jeremiah's call, if we can call it that at least, and how God called him and how he responded. And there's a way in which there's a call in the heart of God, and then there's a response that we each need to make to it. And that's what we're going to be framing today around this story of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, as we all know, was not a bullfrog. I just dated myself. Jeremiah is a prophet. And he grew up the son of a priest, a priest who worked in Jerusalem at the Jewish temple. Now, a, a quick broad brush review of your Old Testament history is that Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and then eventually they arrived in the promised land under Joshua. And when they settled the promised land, there were 12 tribes, and they settled all throughout the land. Fast forward a few hundred years, there was a civil war after the reign of King Solomon, and the kingdom split in half. The ten northern tribes became Israel, the two southern tribes became Judah. Now, the ten northern tribes ran along on their own for about 200 years or so until they were conquered by an Assyrian ruler named Sennacherib, and they were sent into exile or murdered or spread around the ancient world. The ten northern tribes gone, so all that's left is Judah and its capital city, Jerusalem. Well, over a period of years, the area under the control of that nation shrank and shrank and shrank until at the time of Jeremiah, it's just a little city-state. It's like the city of Jerusalem and a little bit of real estate around it. That's the whole nation of Judah. 
Now, if you ever wondered why we call Jewish people Jewish or Jews, it's because these are the descendants of those who lived in Judah. That's where the connection of the name comes from, all right? So it's this little tiny city-state, and it's being chipped away. It was chipped away at first by the Assyrian Empire, and then eventually it got really chipped away by the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It got to be a really small community. Jeremiah's father was a priest working in the Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem. And so he would go back and forth from where he lived doing his priestly duties. So as Jeremiah was growing up as a boy, what is it that Jeremiah figured out he'd do for a living when he grew up? He'd be a priest like his father. That's the way things worked in the ancient world. You took on your father's trade. Everyone knew how that worked. So he expected to be a priest. But when we read this text from Jeremiah, we read something very interesting about this call that God placed on him. There is a quite well-known text about Jeremiah where it talks about how before he was formed in his mother's womb, God knew him. There is a sense in which God's call for Jeremiah came before Jeremiah even exists. And this is important for us to recognize that God's vision or dream exists before we even have an awareness of it. That God's call is going forth even before there's any way to put it on the ground, before it can look real to us in any way. God is moving and working. And that call of God, not only for Jeremiah, came before he was even born, it's also true for each of us. Each of us have received a call or a vision from God. The question here is how we respond to what God's call is. In other words, when God dials us up, how do we respond in that moment? Now, we're going to talk about how Jeremiah responded in a minute, but just focus for a moment on what your call might be, how God is calling you. Even, even before you were born, God was calling you and inviting you into something. We believe as Methodists in this thing called prevenient grace, this grace of God that works before we have an awareness of it. There's a way in which God is inviting us into something, but I want you to take note that God rarely in the Bible, I would argue, almost never makes anyone do anything. God instead invites people, calls people, beckons people, but yet people have the option of either saying yes to that or no to that. When I was in high school, I had great plans for my life. I was going to be a meteorologist. That's right, a weatherman. Didn't matter if I was going to be on TV or not. I was going to be the weatherman, and I wanted to talk about the weather. I love talking about the weather and the forecast. And all of you Seattleites kind of overblown with your doom and gloom and rain and cold. I'm waiting. <laughs> it's the middle of October, and it's still like summer around here. Everyone says, oh, trust me, just wait, just wait. I'm waiting. I've always loved the weather and always have even as an adult, but I thought as a young person that's what I was going to do with my life, was that I was going to be a scientist. So when I was in high school, I took all the classes I needed, all the hard math classes, calculus, everything, getting ready to go to the school that's the best meteorological school in the United States, the University of Oklahoma. 
Sad to say, we were beaten by our arch rivals, the Texas Longhorns, yesterday. And no, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but God had other plans. God had other plans. Now, throughout my entire life, God's never made me do anything. But what God has done is called, beckoned, invited into a, a reality that I, I never could have imagined or thought even existed. And for me, it's a, it takes a peculiar twist because I'm an adopted child. You all know this, or at least most of you do. And so this notion for me, as, since I was adopted as a child, there's a sense in which God's call coming before I had an awareness of it is a very powerful theme for me in my life. And the notion of being adopted not only by my parents, but being adopted by God is a powerful image for me. So this question of purposefulness becomes really important. So let me ask all of us a couple of questions. What words would best describe God's vision for your life? And what intentional steps are you taking today to know that vision? I'm going to leave those questions up on the screen. I want to give you just a few seconds to look at them and begin reflecting on them for a moment. <coughs> So God has a, a plan, if you will, a purpose. And sometimes I don't care for the word plan as much, but today it works well. Um, it gives this notion, the idea that God's got everything laid out before us, like it's all been predestined. Mm, that makes Methodists break out in a rash. Not the case. God has this vision, this dream, this wish, this desire, this plan, and then we have to respond to it. We have to engage with it in some form or another. This was true in Jeremiah's case. He was raised to be a priest, and he ended up being a prophet. And Jeremiah wasn't any prophet. He was a prophet to the people of Israel and Judah who believed that somehow that God would never forsake them, that no matter what they did, God would always be with them. There would always be a temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would always be their capital, and it would always be there. And this is what makes Jeremiah's in ministry so interesting in that while everyone was making that statement about how nothing could ever happen to us, we're God's people after all, the same people that were led out of Egypt under Moses, we're those people. Jeremiah comes along and says, my friends, that is not going to be the case. Your city is going to be destroyed. Your temple is going to be burned to the ground. And you're going to be shipped off into exile. Does anyone here want to sign up for Jeremiah's job? There's a reason the man is called the weeping prophet. That the task that he's given as a prophet is one of the most difficult tasks we read about in the entire Bible. He has to go to people who are entitled and tell them, you're not entitled. You're not entitled. So how do we respond to this call? What do, we, what do we do when God calls? Because God has a call for our life. God has a call for our church. God has a call for Seattle Pacific University across the street, our, our beleaguered institution across the street that's in a news headline every other week. 
God has a dream and a vision for the city of Seattle, where the smallest percentage of the population identify as Christian. God has a vision and a dream for the Pacific Northwest. God has a vision and dream for all of it. The question then is, how do we step into that vision or dream? How do we step into that calling and do that which God has called us to do in many ways before we even had an awareness of it? Well, let's talk about how that happens. One of the first things we have to recognize and one of the first questions we have to ask is this. We're going to put it up on the screen. Now it's before that one, Nancy. Back up a little bit. Are we ready to lay our limitations at the feet of Jesus? There it is. Thank you. Awesome. When God calls Jeremiah, Jeremiah's response is two things. He says, number one, I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. And number two, classic excuse, what? I'm too young. Heard this before? I'm too young. That, that's how what he responds with. This is not uncommon. There are other leaders in the Bible who are called just like Jeremiah, and they said the exact same thing. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. A lot of people respond with this. But this question is important because it's honest. Did he not know what to say? He did not know what to say, friends. Was he too young? Yes, he was too young. Most scholars estimate Jeremiah's age at this point of his calling, when this calling happens, is somewhere between the age of 13 and 16 years old. So when he says, I'm too young, does that register with you for a minute? There, there's this idea in this text that Jeremiah lays honestly his limitations before God. That's an important step in responding to God's call. Because typically when God calls, what we do is ignore the call, go and make plans on our own over here, and then after we've made up our plans for our life, our career, our education, and all things, then we turn around and look at God and say, God, would you please bless what I've planned? So in that case, who's doing the calling? We are. And who's doing the responding? God is. Versus the other way around, God calls and we respond. So what happens is our own planning and our own machinations and the, our own way of laying out our lives become our own form of retreat and hiding from God's call on us. The first step in responding to God's call for our own lives and for our church is to admit and to put on the table every limitation there is. I'm too young. I'm too old. The people in this church will never change. Shall I keep going? What I notice is that most people know all these things already. Their insecurities, their fears, all the things they hold are there. And what God invites us into in the moment of our call isn't to dismiss them, it's actually to own them fully. And to say, this, God, this is what I bring to the table. Jeremiah is called to do this, and he says, God, there's no way I can do that. That's the right posture. Because in that posture, going back to the Beatitudes, that posture of poverty, I don't have what it takes now God can do something awesome. But if we think we're pretty awesome, then guess what God can do? Not much awesome. Not much great. Because God, I'm great already. This is an important question to wrestle with. 
What do you carry as your fears? What do you carry as your liabilities? What do you carry inside of you that says, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not, I'm not sure I could be that. I'm not sure I could function in that way. Own that. Own it. Another question we might ask is this one. How can we find God's vision for our lives, our church, our city, and our world? How could we find that vision? Well, I think there are, there are four practices that we might embrace to help us answer this question. And it starts with this one. Number one is that we should first pray and be in communion with the Lord. Reading scripture, praying, sitting quietly before the Lord in contemplation, praying, interceding for other people, putting ourselves in that posture of our own private spiritual disciplines and our public spiritual disciplines. Did you all know that if you're in this sanctuary right now, you were engaged in a public spiritual discipline? You're engaged in the discipline of worship, and you're here with other people, thus it is public. Public and private disciplines are the beginning of getting to a place where we can discern what God might be calling us to do. That's step one. Step two is look for the places where God is already at work. Look for the places where God is already at work. See, um, one of the critical mistakes the people made in Jeremiah's day is they believed that God could do nothing without them. We should not be that arrogant, should we? to believe that we're, com we're necessary for God to do anything. No, not quite. God is at work. God is already moving in this church, in your life. God's already working over at Seattle Pacific. God's already working in the city of Seattle. God's already doing stuff. So how do we observe it, look for it, find it, and get there? How do we locate ourselves where God's already moving? That's important. The third thing we can do is look at what pulls on your heartstring. What tugs on you spiritually, intellectually, emotionally? What grabs you? Now, last week, Pastor Camille preached our sermon, and she did a fantastic job talking about the work this church does in fostering hope, the work we do with foster children and their families in this city, and talking about the work we're doing in our set-free ministries, the work we do around fighting human trafficking and slavery, sex trade, so many of these other things that we're working against in our world. There were many of you who heard Pastor Camille preach last week and went, ah, I have to do that. I have to respond to that. I have to act based on what I heard. In other words, it pulled your heartstring. There were others of you here who heard that and your heartstring was not pulled. You appreciated and valued the work, but it didn't tug on you. It didn't grab you. That's totally cool. Because that means there's something else God's going to pull on your heart about. There's something else that God's going to move you by. Listen for that. Listen and look for the thing that pulls your heartstring, that, the thing that aches, the burden that God puts on you, that the only way to get the burden off is to do it. And the last thing that we can do, the last way we can begin to discern God's call for us is this, is to recognize that our limitations are true, not false. Our limitations are true, not false. If you're young, guess what? You're young. 
If you're old, guess what? You're old. If you bring some liability to the game, lay it on the table. That's exactly the kind of person God can use. Exactly the kind of person God can use. So what action should we take? What action should we take? Well, um, I, I broke it down into three D's because I'm, after all, a preacher, and so I like alliteration. So D, D, and D, right? Hmm. Never mind. Um, first one, discernment. Discernment. That's the first. Discernment means we're asking a question about this, and it's up on the screen. What is God's call? So if you're sitting here today saying, I'm not quite sure what God's call for my life is, that's where you start. Discernment. And some of the things we talked about today are ways to discern that. We can pray. We can engage in public and private spiritual disciplines. We can look for where God is moving. All these ways are ways for us to discern God's call on our life. The second one, decide. And the question there is, what choice has God given us to make? What choice has God given us to make? Ultimately, God's call comes to Jeremiah, but Jeremiah has to do what? He has to decide whether he's going to accept that call or whether God is going to move on to somebody else named Jack. Friends, deciding is an important step for us because once we've discerned, the choice is with us. Remember, God making people do things is foreign to the body of Scripture. What is all over the body of Scripture is God calling and people responding. That's everywhere. And so when God calls, we have a decision to make. Are we going to do that or are we not going to do it? Are we going to avoid it or are we going to be real with it? Are we going to try it and fail at it and learn how to do it better? Or are we going to go with stuff we already know? Choices. And the last thing we have to do, dedicate. Dedicate. We'll need to invest everything we have for God's vision. There's a story that comes later in Jeremiah. It's a great story. And uh, what happens in this story in Jeremiah is that uh, the Neo-Babylonian Empire comes. They conquer the city of Jerusalem while Jeremiah is still there. They destroy the Jewish temple. The city is laid waste. People are taken into exile. Jeremiah is still there. Jeremiah then goes out with a, a significant sum of money, and he buys a field in the middle of the city of Jerusalem that's worthless, and he pays a mountain of money for it. And the reason he does so is because he wants to communicate to everyone God's faithfulness, that as much as this exile and destruction have come to us, God is not done with us yet. God will restore the city. God will renew this place. God will bring about a new day. And so Jeremiah goes out and he buys this field. He dedicates everything he has to God's call on his life. That's the only way that kind of dedication happens, is when God calls, we respond and then we go all in with it. All in with what God has invited us to do. But when I was um, a senior in high school, ready to be a meteorologist, um, I taught a Bible study for our youth group. And when I taught the Bible study for our youth group, I can't remember what it was, I think it was on the Gospel of John or something. 
And uh, there were some adults who were there as well, some of the parents of those kids. And I, you know, it was like a 20-minute Bible study. I finished teaching the Bible study, and I was done. And, and the youth and the parents looked at me and said, you need to do this. And I said, oh, yeah, well, thank you. I, you know, my first time, blah, blah, blah. And, and they said, no, 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 you need to do this. And I demurred and was like, no, that, you know, whatever. And then after it was over, I had two of the adults come up to me, parents, and they grabbed me by the shoulders, and they said, no, God has called you to do this. And so after a very kind of slow and cathartic process, I went and sat with my pastor and talked and reflected on that. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks to get to that. Because I kept saying, no, I'm supposed to be a meteorologist. I'm going to point at charts. And it just wouldn't let me go. It just nagged at me and nagged at me. And the moment I had peace in my life is when I finally said, yes, God, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you my whole life. If you want me to teach and pastor your people, I will. And that was when I had peace in my life for the first time as a young person. I'd never had it before. So um, I graduated high school on June 15th, 1986. Exactly 10 years later to the day, June 15th, 1996, I was ordained. That was a great journey for me over those 10 years. Changed my life. I'm still learning how to be a pastor. I'm still learning how to teach. But what I can tell you is since I made the decision to go all in, God is not disappointed. Can I share with you the best part of being a pastor? The best part of being a pastor is that you get to have a front row seat to the things that God does. Front row. I get to watch right in front as people's lives are transformed. I get to watch people who are rich and mean become the most graceful, generous people I've ever met. I get to watch people who never spent an hour serving other people turn into great agents of change in mission and service to the world. I get to watch that right up front. I get to watch God do that. And I'll be honest with you, friends, it's intoxicating. It's the best thing that could have ever happened to me is to be able to see all of that change firsthand. As a church, as a group of people seeking to fulfill God's vision, uh, right now, we have a lot of excuses and some of our excuses are, uh, people and I, my, the church here, I hear them say, uh, we're too old. Or I hear them say, our, our time has come and gone. I, I hear them say, we don't have enough young people. We don't have enough money. <laughs> Front row seat. It's exciting. So instead of ignoring all those liabilities, which they are, guess what? Our church has a lot of old people in it. I'm becoming one of them. Our church doesn't have enough young people in it. 
All those things are true. But what God is after for us as a church is to put all that on the table and say, God, we know what you're calling us to do, but here's all of our limitations. Here's all the stuff we're afraid of that we can't figure out that we think is holding us back. Here it is, Lord. We just set it at the feet of Jesus and then watch God work. Where God provides, God is always guiding. And where God guides, God is providing. Listen to the great promise in this text in Jeremiah. It's great. Listen to what God tells them. Because where I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Here's the part I love. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to save you. Close your eyes, just for a minute, and let these words wash over you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to save you. We thank you, God, that you are with us, that you never abandon us or leave us, that in reality, Lord, we're lacking lots of things. We have lots of problems. We don't discount them, but instead we bring them. We bring all of them because, God, you are the only God that can save us. You're our only hope. And it's in that very space, God, where you meet us at the table of honesty, humility, poverty. That's where you meet us. So we gather around this table, simply set with bread and juice. And as we gather around this table, we remember always the greatness you brought forth from broken bread and a poured out cup. Thank you.